0: Good morning. Great to see you all this morning. I know we have a lot of people that are still traveling for the holidays, but we've got a lot of people who have traveled here for the holidays. So if you are a regular here, if you're a guest of ours today, if you're joining us online, we are again really glad that you chose to worship God with us here at Bay Area this morning. And I hope that you have had a wonderful holiday season. I hope that you had a really enjoyable Christmas, that you got time to spend with friends and family. I hope that you got just what you wanted for Christmas. By the way, those of you who received a book from me for Christmas, just so you know, that's due back at the library on Friday. So plan on that. But uh, this is, has been mentioned several times, the last Sunday of the year and you know at the end of the year it's kind of a natural time to look back to kind of reassess things maybe wrap things up and I I want to do that this morning I want to wrap up a couple things this morning and I will tell you that I purposefully saved this sermon for the last sermon of the year remember two months ago, we went through a series, Things Jesus Said, Things Jesus Didn't Say, and as I was going through those lessons, I knew that I wanted to preach this sermon the last week of the year. And actually, this sermon today is going to sort of wrap up our last two series. We spent the month of December talking about the birth of Jesus and it's being a season of hope. So today we're going to talk about hope as well, but I want to do it in the context of something that Jesus did not say. Something that no one ever heard Jesus say and that really got me thinking of what we never hear people say. I'm a preacher. I've been going to church my entire life and I got to think about some things I have never heard anyone ever say in church. I've never heard anyone say, could we pass the collection plate a second time? I feel like I want to give more money today. I've never heard anyone say that. I've never had anyone tell me, I've never heard anyone say, hey, it's our turn to sit in the front pew. <laughs> but the front pews are all empty except for a couple of women here. <laughs> and Dave, Dave's in the back singing with the kids. I don't know, maybe Travis, maybe Orlando, you've heard this. I have never heard anyone say, I just love when we sing brand new songs and I don't know. I've never heard have you ever I've never heard that. I've never heard heard anyone say, we need a big change in this church so nobody gets comfortable. Because I love change. (laughs) No one's ever told me that. Not about church. And personally, I have never had anyone encourage me in a with a sermon saying, you know, I love your sermons. I just I wish they were longer. (laughs) No one has ever told me that. I had a lot of suggestions about sermons and styles. No one has ever told me, make it a little bit longer. And if you tell me that today, I'll I'll know you don't mean it. (laughs) So don't bother. I'm not going to believe it. But this morning, I do want to zero in on a phrase that I I have heard in church. I've heard it everywhere I go, but I've heard it from Christians. I've heard it in church. And it is almost always said with with the best of intentions. And it's almost always said by someone who's trying to provide some comfort for someone else who's, who's going through a difficult thing. So people say things like, well, God just must be up to something in your life, you know, if you have to go through this. Or somehow God is, is using this time to test your faith. Or eventually, you know, be patient, you're going to see how God's been working through all of this and his reason behind it. And all those popular expressions pretty much place the blame on God for you going through a difficult time. And and God has to own up to his part in us going through this difficult season, these struggles, their their trials, they're God's fault. And that's what's often behind the phrase that you so often hear, remember, everything happens for a reason. And the subtle assumption behind that statement is that God has a reason to put you through this heartache. I read a story, a guy, a true story, about a guy who talked about losing his wife in a terrible tragedy. She actually fell down their basement steps and broke her hip. And she had surgery on her hip, but instead of healing, it actually got worse. There's an infection that set in, just a lot of bad things happened, and she eventually died from her injury. And he went to his wife's funeral, and several people came up to him and said some version of that statement. Now, remember, everything happens for a reason. And he wrote that he left his wife's funeral feeling incredibly sad and incredibly mad because he didn't want to serve a God who pushed women down the steps of their basement. I, uh, I don't think God is in heaven orchestrating who falls down steps and who doesn't. Now, I do have to qualify that statement, because the truth is, everything does happen for a reason. Since God invested implanted uh, cause and effect into our reality, things do happen for a reason, but we need to be very careful when we try to assign cause to every single effect, and we need to be especially careful when we try to to try to assign cause to God to say that God was behind every single effect. Everything does happen for a reason, but it's not always because of God. I think that it's wrong not to give God the honor that he's due. I also think it's wrong to blame God for things that he didn't do. It's wrong to hold God responsible for for things that, that weren't his fault. For example, I might be the reason. Everything happens for a reason, and the reason might be me. Because the Bible does say that we're going to reap what we sow. So if you text while you're driving, and you're not paying attention to what's going on around you, and you get in an accident, that wasn't God's fault. And if you party all the time and you flunk out of school, don't go around telling people, well, God had a different plan for my educational <laughs> journey. That's not on God. That's on you. Now, if you live your life where you, you, know, you, you drink too much and you smoke a couple packs of cigarettes a day and you never exercise, you eat all the wrong foods, you never see the doctor, you have a stroke when you're 45, don't, don't shake your fist at heaven And ask God why he's doing that. That's not on God. That's on you. And the reason why I am being so blunt and and maybe a little bit harsh is because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who talk about what what I consider to be self-inflicted wounds and yet they're mad at the church and they're mad at God. And I always want to say to them, what did you expect to happen? Look how you were living your life. What, what did you think was going to happen? And, and interestingly, the Bible actually talks about this very thing. Proverbs chapter 19. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. People ruin their lives by the things that they do. Then they get mad at God. We don't quote that verse to people when they're going through a hard time, do we? Oh, yeah. But that's exactly why you need to be very careful about who you invest in and how you invest emotionally and relationally, financially, spiritually. Because you will reap what you sow. And if you are in the middle of a very difficult time, the truth is you could be the reason. Or others might be the reason and you know this is true, Uh, we all know that we can be incredibly blessed and we can be incredibly wounded by the actions of others. Other people have a huge influence on our lives for good and for ill. Someone lied to you. Someone broke a promise. Someone cheated. Someone cheated on you didn't keep their marriage vows. These things happen, and these things matter. And I think that's one reason why the Bible is so emphatic about the fact that we need to love our neighbors and we need to love our enemies, because we don't want to be the reason why bad things happen to someone else. We want to be the reason why good things happen to someone else. Other people have a tremendous influence on our lives. So sometimes I'm the reason. Sometimes others might be the reason. And we don't really want to talk about it, but we have to talk about it. Sometimes Satan might be the reason. That is in the Bible. When bad things happen, sometimes Satan is the issue. And I know that some people will tend to take this too far. But Jesus believed in a real devil who did real things... In the real world. For example, Jesus told a a parable in the book of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as everyone slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's servants came to him and told him, Sir, the field where you planted that seed is full of weeds. An enemy has done it, the farmer exclaimed. Shall we pull out the weeds, they asked. He replied, no, you'll hurt the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I'll tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and burn them to put the wheat in the barn. Jesus says there are, there are people in this story represented, representing righteousness, and there are people representing unrighteousness, and they are living together. And Jesus says the reason they're together, the reason they're in the same place, the reason, the reason they're in the same field, the reason those weeds are growing up among the wheat is because Satan, an enemy, has been at work. And Jesus believed that just as God is active and involved in the daily affairs of man, that Satan is also active and involved in the daily affairs of man. And sometimes we know it. Sometimes we know it's Satan. Satan. Remember when Paul was talking about the thorn in his flesh, he knew it was a messenger of Satan. He recognized it as such. Sometimes we don't know it. The book of Job describes a man who, you know, had these incredible trials, incredible suffering, and he had no idea that Satan was behind it. And we talked at length about this a few months ago when we talked about the armor of God But don't think that this spiritual warfare is something that a few people have to endure some parts of their lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, spiritual warfare is something that's going on every single day of your life. And intellectually, I think we all understand that. We get that. Intellectually, I think we would all agree when bad things are happening, when I'm going through a really difficult time, I know that's not God's fault. But the thing that we struggle with, and the thing that I think we have a hard time reconciling, is I know it's not God's fault. I know God didn't cause it, but God, why don't you stop it? Why don't you step into my life right now and hit the brakes on what's going on? Why don't you slow things down? Why don't you fix this for me? And again, we got to be really careful when we start asking those questions. And again, I think that's where the book of Job can teach us some things. A couple of months ago, Jim Ingram taught a class on the book of Job. Uh, a lot of people think that the book of Job is uh, about the problem of suffering. I don't. I think it's the problem of faith in a world that is full of suffering. Because Job never answers the question, why do people suffer? Instead, Job asks another question. Will people trust God when they don't know why they're suffering? Will you trust God when you don't know why what's happening to you is happening? And the book of Job warns us against this entitled belief that God has to hold himself accountable to us, that God has to give us an answer when bad things are happening. And when you get to the end of that book, it's pretty clear that God does not have to exercise His sovereignty in a way that makes perfect sense to us. God is not in need of justification. We are in need of justification. And for what it's worth, and I'm convinced that anyone who's ever been a preacher or an elder or a pastor for any amount of time, I think they'll agree with me. For what it's worth, I think why is really overrated. Enlightenment is not going to bring you the kind of relief that you think it will. That child in middle school who finds out that his parents are going through a divorce, do you think it's going to be any less painful if he knows exactly why that's happening? That mother who's lost a child, do you think it's going to be any less painful? if she knows exactly why that happened? Trying to figure out the reason for everything is not going to bring you the kind of insight, the kind of comfort, the kind of closure that you think it should. The Bible is asking, will you trust God when you don't know why the things that are happening to you are happening? And that kind of trust it doesn't come by trying to connect all the dots so it makes perfect sense to us. That kind of trust comes by connecting our pain to the heart of God. Listen to what Paul has to say about this. Romans chapter 8, we know this verse. Paul says, and we know, not we think, not we speculate, not we hope. We know that in all things God works not just for His own glory, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to his purpose. So when you're dealing with suffering, when you're dealing with trouble and just just angst, and you're not exactly sure why, I would suggest, instead of trying to find the answers to that, trying to find the reasons, look for where God is at work. Because Paul says that God works in all things. Not just good things. He works in all things. And again, that doesn't mean that God causes all things. That just means that no things can stop God from working for your good in all things and that sometimes, someday, God is going to be at work and if something good happens, you know that God has been at work. There are times in our lives when we can see God at work. There are times in our lives when we can't see God at work, and you just have to trust that He is at work in all things. I've got a picture here of the Sistine Chapel. You've all seen pictures. Some of you have been there, the Sistine Chapel. It took Michelangelo five years to complete the, the painting in that chapel. And we're told that he received a tremendous amount of criticism during the process. And the major complaint was people didn't get it. People didn't understand what he was doing. And his response was always the same it was kind of twofold. One, he said, I'm not obligated to tell you what my vision is. But he also said, even if I tried to explain it to you, you still wouldn't get it. Just trust me. Wait till I'm finished. It'll all make sense. And of course, 500 years later, we realized that he was exactly right. Trusting God doesn't mean that it's wrong to grow, but I think it is wrong to gripe. Life is not fair. And faith doesn't mean that we pretend that that bad things are good things. That's not what faith is about. Faith means trusting God that a good God will work for our good today and he'll make all things right someday because listen God has not promised you immunity what he has promised you is eternity Romans chapter 8 I consider that our present sufferings this is Paul talking and Paul knew a little thing, thing or two about suffering I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us Skip down a couple of verses, and Paul says, For in this hope we are saved. In this hope we are saved. Now, Christians aren't different because we don't have trials and because we don't suffer. We do. And Christians aren't different because our, our problems are smaller than everybody else's. Christians are different because our hope is bigger than everybody else's. And hope gives us a strength and an endurance that that reasons and and answers to why never will. Because the truth is, we do have a reason. We do have a a reason that, that hope can trump every mystery and every pain. There's a reason why we believe that evil will not have the last word. And there's a reason why we trust God in all things, even when we can't see Him working. And there's a reason why we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We have a reason. And the reason is because Jesus Christ conquered death. That's the reason. Jesus became like us. He's experienced evil with us. He went through a cross and died for us. He took our sins away from us. He rose from the grave to show us that when God works, God wins. And one empty tomb trumps all the whys and all the reasons that I would demand to have answered. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As long as that tomb is still empty, you have a reason to keep going. And I wrap this thing up with one last story. Uh, Dr. Diane Comp is a pediatric oncologist. I want you to think about that for a minute. She spends all of her days working with the smallest patients who have cancer. And by her own account, she was not a believer. But on her journey to faith, and she talks about it in a book she wrote, Window to Heaven... On her journey to faith she said, I was just amazed at how different people reacted to the terrible situation that they found their families in. And I was amazed at how Christian people handled that situation so differently. And she said, a real turning point in my journey to faith was one day when I walked into a room of a three-year-old little boy who was suffering from leukemia. And his mother was there with him, and his mother was reading a book. And just in the course of kind of, you know, chit chat conversation, the doctor asked the mom, What are you reading? And the book was entitled, Is the Resurrection of Jesus Christ Relevant Today? And Dr. Comp looked at the book and said, well, What do you think? And the mother looked at her little boy who was struggling to breathe. She turned to the doctor and with inexpressible calm and inexpressible strength, she said, it is absolutely relevant today. It is the only reason that we hope today. So, when you can't see what God is doing, you hold on to what you know He's already done. When you're looking for God and you can't see what He's doing, you hold on to what you know He's already done. And when you can't see what God is doing, you hold on to the promise of what He'll do. And the next time that God gives you the privilege to walk alongside someone who is hurting, someone whose heart is breaking, don't feel like you have to say anything. Sometimes just your presence is enough. But if you do, if you speak, don't feel like you have to analyze all the reasons. Don't minimize the hurt. Just maximize the hope. Now, some people think, and they might be right, some people think when we get to heaven we are finally going to get to ask God all of our questions. And we're going to get to demand to know why things happened the way they happened. And when I get to heaven, I want some answers. And when I get to heaven, God's going to have to explain to me everything that happened. Maybe. But here's what I think. When I get to heaven and I see the beautiful, loving face of Jesus, why is not going to matter. I am not going to ask Him why. I'm just going to say, thank you. And I know that for all of us, that is good to hear. For some of us, That is hard to hear. So, I want to pray over you this morning, and I want to ask God to bless you. So, let's pray. Father, life is hard, and we want to believe and to see what you're doing and and how you're working. But we also want to be a witness of faith when we can't see, and we don't have the reasons, we don't have the answers. Father, would you remind us that the tomb is empty, that death has been defeated, and that Jesus is coming again. And a day is coming when there will be no pain, and there will be no more tears, and there will be no more suffering. He will make it all right. And when we can't see anything else, help us to see Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and be standing and we'll sing.